Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and Mothers of Rationality Analysis Podcast. I'm Stephen Zuber. Brian Deacon, hi everybody. All right, Brian. When we last left our heroes, Harry had taken what he saw to be his chance to shoot Voldemort in the face. Bust a cap in his face. Let his ass. I actually, I don't think it was very specific about where he was actually shooting. So he shot three bullets: one for the face, one for the ass, one for the heart. Triple tap. Yeah. <laughs> shot him in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. So yeah, we we close with that, and then the very first thing we open with in the next chapter is that yeah, you're not shooting Voldemort. Come on. Uh, yeah, what I put in our notes was one does not simply shoot Voldemort. You were nice um, enough to put in a, a Boromir meme. I, I memified it. Um, yeah it's just yeah like what is like stabs his one to the ground and like it seemed like a very like kind of super friends move to like he summoned a wall of dirt or something to take the blood for him but but yeah you're not gonna shoot Voldemort Um, yeah that's a smart move if if Harry had for whatever reason like magically augmented his bullets then if Voldemort tried to stop them with magic it would have done the whole resonance thing Mm -hmm. so a wall of dirt you know smart move Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. If it was yeah, because he had to do something that was sort of kind of like not blocking it, but not directly with magic. Although no, but yeah, I guess because it was bullets, he could use something that was very directly magic, and that would be okay. But, but it could have been more than bullets. Maybe they yeah. were transfigured bullets or something, you know? Yeah, and even in his head right. as he's doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, as Harry's doing it, he's like, "Okay, this isn't going to help at all," because you know he'll just transfer in a, you know his latest. Poor Cruxy, something, something. But I think Harry's just sort of like in desperation mode and be like, I don't know, you could fucking kill him. That'll at least buy some time. Um, that was his explicit reasoning last chapter. I think that yeah. he realized at the beginning of this one that like, you know what? Why on earth would he shout, oh my God, my my bulletproof vest fell off. I'm suddenly vulnerable. Why would yeah, he shout that loud, right? Yeah, I didn't follow that. So, I mean, yeah, I got that like, oh, well, of course I wasn't. But then I didn't quite follow like why. Then why did he shout it in the first place? Because it's not like, like he gained some advantage by forcing Harry to shoot him. He absolutely gained an advantage by forcing oh, Harry. Oh, that's to right, him. because it like broke the whatever. Yeah, this, that whole thing seemed weird because that was this cursy thing that we didn't even know existed and didn't have to exist if the author didn't feel like putting it there. And now we've like worked out how it's no longer an issue. So I couldn't follow it. Like it felt like maybe there's some kind of like more plot. There was a lot of plot lowering in these uh, two chapters. I, so there's two things. There's two things about that. That, that jump out at me. One is that I think he used the Goblet of Fire because he mentioned that he stole it from Bobatons. Um, so I think he used that to invoke this curse because he talked about it's the similar to that that curse with um, Baba Yaga teaching at Hogwarts, right? Mm-hmm. And so just for fun, I think it's the Goblet of Fire. But also, like, the curse does seem kind of pointless. Like, all right, I'm going to curse me and my, my uh, progeny, whatever they are, that they can't do this thing unless they do this thing, in which case I can also do this thing. Yeah. And we didn't know about its existence until we're told that it no longer applies anyway. So like, yeah, that's, I'm like, well, then where, why, why are we here? That explains, I guess, maybe why Quirrell didn't kill him earlier, but like, you know, I, for me, what just, what I don't get about it is like, if the curse worked, then there's no reason to have a clause to where it's null if it doesn't work. Yeah. A, A curse to enforce that none of us would threaten the other's immortality. So long as the other made no attempt upon our own. I guess if some if, if another Tom Riddle found a way around the curse, maybe then you're allowed to go after him. Or in this case, if it just didn't work on him, because as he puts it, typical of that fiasco, it only worked on me. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just weird because it was because it's again like there's a lot of like very OCD kind of you know nitpicking at the technical details of things, and this was like yeah, that as well. But it like it didn't need to be there at all because we're only introducing it to get rid of it in the first place. And at least for me, I mean, I guess part of my, part of me did like go back to think, I'm like, okay, well, if we're just kind of like mentioning it just to get rid of it in the first place, does this sort of, is this covering some other plot hole previously about, I mean, I guess there is the like, okay, this is, this is why he didn't kill him the whole time in the first place. But I guess like for me, like in my head, we were already covered enough, like Quirrell had enough believable reasons on his own to just not want to, not that he was like ruling it out, but like. It was already believable that Quirrell was didn't want to necessarily be killing Harry all the time. Like, like Quirrell allowing Harry to live seemed believable anyway. So, I didn't feel like we needed an explanation for why he had not killed him yet. Yeah, especially because he's going to take extra steps before he goes to kill him. Right. So, yeah. like, I think maybe this is just an awesome idea the author had and wanted to find a way to put it in because I think it's fun to imagine that the Goblet of Fire got another shout out, even if it's quiet. Um, oh, but anyway, I mean, we don't even know necessarily that it had anything to do with the Goblet of Fire. No, it just seems like but... the same. It just seems like the same kind of thing that they used for Baba Yaga, and he told Harry that it sat in a whatever storage room of Bobatons until he eventually stole it. Yeah. So I'm just imagining he took it to use for this. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, because and now that I hadn't put that together about the whole like, oh, please don't shoot me to get him to shoot him. Like we we went to all these gyrations to get this to happen, but it's kind of a a what I like to call a Tom Bombadil where you could just completely remove it and it would change nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's weird. It almost like, seems like, Oh, there was some other like iteration of this whole plot where all of this actually mattered and now it doesn't anymore, but we didn't take it out. But, um, yeah. We'll see if we can get some answers to that from yeah. our uh, yeah. studious audience. Studious. Um, oh, so yeah, after he, but, after he shoots him or after he goes to shoot him and he stops and what does Voldemort do? Uh, what does he do? Da, 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 da. Um, you call it out. Yeah. It. He, he, um, he fully uh, disarms Harry of everything. That, oh. you know, literally everything he can. <laughs> literally everything. Yeah. And I guess that did make, yeah, it was, and yeah, it's kind of weird. Like it comes across again, right? This, these chapters were very sort of like super spocky OCD. Um, because yeah, my, my understanding besides the fact that it's just funny, but like, like my actual understanding of what's going on is like, uh, so yeah, he completely strips Harry naked except for, and, but Harry still got his, his wand. And I guess we're kind of told like, oh, because the whole like magical resonance thing, he couldn't, once he allowed Harry to have his wand, he can't just sort of like, you know, force it to be taken away just kind of magically. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, so like my actual read of it was like, okay, this is more sort of like lawyering around, okay, we're, we're establishing parameters about whatever, like, um, like little puzzle we're going to, we're going to set up that like, okay, you're standing in a graveyard alone, surrounded by 37 perverts and you're naked and you only have your wand. Um, and you're Willie yeah, exactly. swinging in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> you're a little 11 year old Chilito. And yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I know. It's one of those things. Like, as just like, oh, like they're you know, s- you know, sitting there like spocking at each other, like you're not thinking about that. But every once in a while, your brain goes back. You're like, this is like an 11 year old, like ridiculous looking naked kid being cold in the middle of a graveyard. This is like a silly ass looking scene. And then you keep cutting back to you. Then you're like there, and you're like, wait a minute. And now it's like 
you know, 37 Satanists standing around in a graveyard threatening a naked 11-year-old boy. This is exactly the kind of scene that I liked making fun of in the beginning of the book. It's it's pretty over the top. I think that the, I mean, I think that that, like- For good television. Right. (laughs) Like- it, it, if they made this into an anime adaptation, he'd have his underwear on. But like the point of like, mm-hmm. you know, I think going just full, uh, like I remember when Harry was talking about the, uh, the security precautions around the, um, the dark Mark. And he was like, put it in non-obvious locations, like places that wouldn't be checkable without, you know, by a security or without, you know, embarrassment or something. Mm-hmm. But of course a security conscious person would check there anyway. So yeah. like, the idea is like, look, I'm not going to take chances. I don't, you know, if you've got whatever C4 in your pockets. And then of course, I'm not going to run the risk that you've, uh, whatever transfigured the elastic of your underwear into, yeah. uh, then again, well, it's not clear. That's what made my brain go was, cause I guess I'm just thinking like Coral's not, it's, it's not like, oh, you know, I was, I was hiding a shiv in my pants. And like, now that you've taken the clothes, I don't have it anymore. Like I was, I was thinking like, just like sort of generically hiding something on yourself isn't really anything that's going to get past Quirrell. But that, so where it went with my head was, oh, he's, it, it, it put me into all of like Harry's transfiguration stuff, which Quirrell's on the short list of people that know about it. Um, Quirrell's not on the short <clears throat> list. Um, but yeah, no, cause Quirrell didn't in the Azkaban, didn't Quirrell see how Harry did that to the wall? No, he, he, uh, he doesn't know. He didn't, he wasn't at least explicitly told, oh. um, if, if he managed to piece it together, maybe, but, um, huh. I think that hmm. the only people that know for sure are, are Hermione, Professor McGonagall and Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah. I, guess, I mean, so where that went, where I went with that, what though was like, oh, we're, we're like denying Harry, even like any like little bit of matter that he might be able to do his transfiguration fuckery with, um, so, although, like, as like then, as I'm trying to like do my homework for this, like, figure out like how Harry could pull this off, I still couldn't, you know, figure out like, okay, well, what would that do for him anyway? Like, because um, he's not like super, uh, you know, he can't just sort of like instantly transfigure shit, you know, super fast out of whatever, you know, it's hard for him to do. So, right, it's not, but a yeah, but like, yeah, I guess because that, and so, and I guess I mean it was like a helpful hint because then it made me think like. Um, so I thought of that and then that made me think like, okay, if we're going to try to like, if Harry's got to pull this off and like, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves in this, but like if Harry's going to survive being surrounded by 37, uh, child molesters and Satan, um, that like, okay, it's going to be, if it's in this story, it's going to be whatever the Harry ish things in this story are. So I'm like, okay, what are the, like, <clears throat> it's not going to be like Harry, like suddenly says, you know, like pulls out some Kung Fu and like runs away. It's going to be like something that, that Harry has done that's been unique in this story. And so I was like, okay. Um, and because like the clothes stuff reminded me of the transfiguration. I'm like, oh, and that is one of his things. And so then my other one is like, okay, and then it's his human uh, Patronus. So those are kind of like the two things sticking in my head. Like those are kind of the uniquely Harry things that if he's going to pull a rabbit out of his hat right now, it should like involve that. I still like, honestly, like at the, at the end of all this, I haven't come up with like anything like, wonderfully fabulous and like oh that would totally work it's more like i guess maybe kind of could sort of um will yeah, we'll definitely spend we'll time that. puzzling we'll at that, that part yes. yeah um but yes yeah, so there but he does so yeah this first chapter is pretty short um but he uh beyond that he also 
is it in this one he he shows harry the he's like okay this is the horcrux i made um for hermione and we get, we get kind of an explanation of like um i can't remember it was yeah it wasn't this one where he's like um so the, yeah, there's a prophecy that like predicted that you're just going to like destroy the entire fabric of space and time. And I really would rather that not happen. <clears throat> so I'm gone to like extra effort to make sure uh, Hermione is not only alive, but stays alive because she's kind of your chimney cricket. Um, and like, we need somebody around who's going to like, make sure that you don't do stupid shit and blow up the universe. Um, right. Especially so since the second the that that to it. Right. Since the second that <laughs> prophecy kicked off was the moment Hermione died. He was like, oh, whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> so he moved mountains to undo that that mistake. Um, yeah. And I think the full text of the prophecy was, he is here, the one who will destroy the very stars in heaven. He is here. He is the end of the world. That's from memory. I think that got it right. Um, That's right. But yeah, you know, force of great destruction. Uh, he'll tear apart the very stars, end of the world. You know, uh, Serious shit, right? Not, 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 not so fun. Um, yeah, and, and so yeah, this is kind of like the first of like several times where we, we realize like, okay, so yeah, it's not only like, um, like we're all like legit is trying to make sure that Hermione survives, but we get to see like both like for us and the way Quirrell understands it that like Hermione's role, Quirrell understands Hermione as this thing that will keep Harry sane, um, and now still from like a not it's not at all like Quirrell like you know found god and is you know something being nice it's like he sees hermione as this like practical tool towards um you know how do we keep harry from blowing up the world at the very least it's it's part of it i like yeah. and this this is where you mentioned bringing your lawyer but this is also you know just called being thorough his this he says all of this i've done to smash destiny at every point of intervention which is the same language he used talking to professor mcgonagall right after hermione died yeah. Which is like, no, you know, we can't just like try one thing that, that that's not enough. We've got to do all the things because yeah. it's not enough to look back and be like, well, I tried like that's that's not enough. Right. you got to get it done. Um, there is a, a certain level of seriousness when you uh, as the great insert century philosopher Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> um, so then uh yeah, he tells Harry, all right, shut the hell up. Keep your wand pointed down and don't raise it unless told you'll die unless else you'll die upon the spot. And Mark that I said that in parcel tongue. Oh, and then I pulled this out too. I don't know if you noticed. Um, when he summons the Death Eaters, I pulled out the the quote of how he does that, unless you caught it and just didn't grab the um, thing. Oh, yeah. I, actually, yeah, I did notice it, but I wasn't sure. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get what it like what it was referring to, what the significance was. But yeah, he like pulls out some just severed arm, which is <clears throat> just a thing that has the dark mark on it, which, and I don't recall specifically how they describe it, but yeah, he uses that as the way to like send out the bat signal to get all the um, death eaters to show up. But was, was, is there something I didn't get, is that like a reference to something I should have picked up on? Like whose spe- arm that specifically was or. If I told you that you could easily guess whose arm that was, whose would you guess? Uh, what was that? That was the um, uh, Peter Pettigrew was the thing from that original one that like he takes the dude's arm. Uh, uh, Pinky. Part of that. Pinky? No, it? like no. P- uh, Peter Pettigrew, I think he takes his whole damn arm because then it turns into like he gives him some kind of like silver. 
arm. Oh, that's right. After that. He cuts off his hand or something. Yeah, when and that's part of that. Yeah, yeah, it's part yeah. of like the spell to to bring Voldemort back. But um, so it, we don't to... get it textually confirmed here, but I think it is still guessable. The, the only other clue is that it seems too thin that arm. Hmm. Can you think of any emaciated Death Eaters we've seen so far in this story? Uh, I, can't, I can't keep track of like who we know as Death Eaters. We know um, exactly one. Is it just Malfoy? Lucius well, Malfoy? I mean, uh, you know that hmm. one. And then no, and we know that like there's that like not what was his name, but yeah, I can't remember anybody being like very well described beyond like Snape. But Snape, I guess. Oh, is, is it Snape? Because I don't picture, I've never, like, the dis- actual descriptions of Snape and how I picture Snape in my head never match up. But. It didn't say that he took Snape's arm when they left. I And like I said, it doesn't say, but I think it's Bellatrix Black's arm. Uh, oh, too thin because she was thin. And um, he said that he had he had use of a certain portion of her. Uh, and okay. of course, our minds went to the gutter, but Voldemort's mind being ever uh, forward thinking was like, hey, you know what? I could use a portable dark mark. So... Did he say like did it did it describe like what he actually did? Because like I only remember just sort of like mentioning that oh, and then he had one, but I don't know because it seemed like did he like couldn't he just sort of like have Bellatrix lying around like hey bitch like scratch your dark mark something something I don't know but like what did he do with the arm? Did did it really say? Uh yeah he I mean all he did is hold it up and then taps his wand to the uh, yeah. um the dark mark and that's what then. Like, oh, I guess, and also, creepily, the fingers twitch, like the arm was alive. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the dark mark seems, gets darker. Seems like you didn't have to chop her arm off to accomplish that. You could have just, like, she could have been, you know, her own arm carrier. I guess he didn't want her around for the Normal resurrection arm. ceremony. Of course, he could have left her unconscious. But then he'd have a hard time. Well, no, he obliterated the whole Azkaban thing. I was going to say, he could have, he'd have a hard time explaining why Harry was there. Yeah, and, and he's not, got, you yeah. know, he's got a troll and a unicorn in his mouth. He could, you know, carry around Helena Bonham Carter. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well. But it was macabre and, and, and weird, so get that going for it. Yeah, he's got to go for the creep factor, the same reason he exactly. looks like a creepy snake person. Yeah. I did like – that's what – I like – like we're kind of in this progression of like as – once he like revealed himself to Harry as being Voldemort and they went down through the whole dungeon thing to solve the puzzles – like he got like increasing less quarrel, more, more psychopath. And now like now that he's in his OG Voldemort body, um, he's even like jacked it up even more. And then I like, as we're about to see, like as the, as all his death eaters show up and now he's like fully in Voldemort role, at least for me, it came across as more like, um, like what Dumbledore had said, like anybody who can do those things like that can pretend to be Voldemort is Voldemort. Like it sort of comes across like, Oh, that whole, your kind of pompous quarrel thing about like, oh, it's just pretending to, you know, be evil to, you know, because of these stupid mortals don't know any better. Um, as you're seeing this, you're like, oh, you're not pretending. You just fucking get off on this. Like you're just an evil fuck. Um, oh yeah. He makes like, no conclusions about that. He was just saying he's pretending to be the crazy Voldemort, but yeah. uh, Dumbledore, I think rightly calls him out. He's like, look, I don't give a shit, man. You could be, you could be evil in this entirely uninteresting different way, but I find it not the least, but interesting. Like I regret to inform you that you're, you're just Voldemort. Like, I don't care what else you do. Um, Yeah. And it comes across because it, I get, yeah, it came like, okay, this is really who this person is. And the quarrel thing is the act, which, cause I think like up to this point, he's been, we've been sort of like trying to play it off. Like, you know quarrel not that like quarrel is like who he really is but like that the way he acts while doing that is 
is sort of like the, okay, this is how he actually is. And the whole Voldemort thing is just this, you know, character that he does. And maybe like the, the theater of, of what he does is Voldemort, maybe theater, but like actually acting that way. And this like this sadism and evil and just like in, enjoying torturing his own followers. Like, Oh no, that's not, you're not pretending to do that. You're doing that. Like you're enjoying that. Like that's, that's authentic Voldemort. Killing idiots is one great joy in life. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it's like yeah, I like that from from these chapters that it's kind of like turning up the volume on on him, like being like he's less and less pretending to be anything other than this kind of like pure abstract concept of evil. Yeah, he's he's all out. There's not much else to add, I guess. I mean, the the Death Eaters show up. There are thirty seven of them because Harry was counting. Because why not? Um, and so yeah, I guess you know one of them. This is done really well. Once again, weekly plug for the audiobook. Um, like he does this kind of uh, like voice altering effect. Um, mm. And I think I can't remember if there's multiple voices that we recognize hidden beneath the like voice effect or not, but there's at least one. Um, but yeah, so like they, they come out sounding like it says the voices of peculiar timber behind the silver skull mask, like through this voice mm. distortion. So he puts that in the book and it was tight. Um Anyway, so that he just says, everyone shut the hell up, you know, information, everyone point your wands at the Potter boy. If anything, if he does anything, stun him. And then he tells everyone else, like, you know, cancel his magic, crucio him, uh, whatever, I don't know, various different versions of shoot this kid, right? Mm -hmm. And so then, yeah, it ends with uh, the last voice of the voice of hope and Harry saying, you know, I think this is getting (laughs) pretty bad. (laughs) Even by my standards, this is not looking good. And so I knew this this would be a short chapter to cover just because, yeah. I mean, we basically read the whole thing, but um, there was no way to not do a you know an episode break at the final exam. So, yeah. all right. So we get Voldemort's rebirthing party, and this is where he's just full on, welcome, my Death Eaters. And, uh, well, he says that kind of all, I imagine him kind of, you know, rubbing his hands together and grinning, but then he sounds pissy. He's like, no, don't look at me, you fools. Eyes upon the Potter child. Potter child. I know, yeah, he's even more like evilish in how he um, is talking to all of them. And it is, was there, I, you called it the Reservoir Dogs. That's what I was thinking about it too. Like all the names of the Death Eaters he's dealing with. It was like the McNair was like the first one who was a guy that was sort of the example of like, oh, if you guys had tried this, maybe it could have worked. But like McNair uh, is the one Death Eater that tries to turn on Voldemort to take him out. And he, he's like, and that lasts all of two seconds. <laughs> um but he even says, like, you know, if we all join together, ah. um, but like, I think beyond like McNair, everybody else did have some kind of like Reservoir Dogs kind of name. It wasn't like exactly Reservoir Dogs, but where they was like uh, Council, and I, I didn't uh, write all the names down. But they had, everybody had these kind of like um, not real names, but like adjectives and nouns for names. Um, were they references to anything? I didn't get it other than. Some of them are definitely references. Um, I'm not sure what Mr. Council, and I think uh, McNair's uh, Death Eater name was Mr. Sallow, but then he calls him McNair because he's he's catching on to the fact that he's trying to get Voldemort killed, so he's dropping the the facade. Mm. Um, let's see. Oh, so the, I guess I read it as like those happened to be their actual names, but where those are all like those were their like Reservoir Dog code names. Right, they're all they're all dope ass code names because okay. if you're gonna you wear think, hoods and masks, would, yeah, exactly. yeah. I don't think Voldemort would like worry about sticking to the whole code name thing. It'd be sort of like a flex for him to just start calling out everybody's real name. 
Well, I think that's why he calls him McNair here yeah, because yeah. you know, and maybe well, the other point of McNair's about to turn on him. And you know, the other the other point of this too might be that you don't know necessarily who all of your fellow Death Eaters are. So, like, if you're if you're going to be plotting against Voldemort with you know some other high profile people, there's a chance you'll be talking to another Death Eater and not know it. It's actually really smart that they don't know each other's identities. Just like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, it's the way to do it. Except they're not all right now. I can tell you my name. (laughs) (laughs) They have a sheet on you back in Philadelphia. I'm assuming Um, that they all have not color names because exactly, yeah. Mr. Blonde. I thought it was perfectly timed. Um, and he but he does say like during this that I think what he says like day after tomorrow or something I'm going to announce myself as like the ruler of all Britain. Um, which by quarrel standards seems like you know just limiting yourself to like one country seems pretty you know. Low effort. It's a jumping off um, point. I guess yeah. so. But maybe like a ruler of like, you know, Western Europe or at least. G- give him a weekend to conquer the country and give him two weeks to conquer yeah. the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, so like, the, but he is saying like, okay, you know, we're not going to have to like skulk around. Cause I think I can't remember which one it was, but one of them is like, you know, we have to basically, we have to hurry up and get back or I'm going to not have an alibi for what we're doing here. Mr. White, um, I think was worried Mr. about that. Mr. White, see, Mr. I think Mr. White was uh, Harvey Keitel. Who? I think it's Harvey Keitel in the Reservoir Dogs. Oh, Reservoir Dogs, yeah. I think it's there. There's some clues in the like the things that Mr. White says, and maybe it's also just helped along by the audiobook. But uh, I think I think it's a you can kind of guess who Mr. White is once you get that the names aren't totally meaningless. Um, Oh, see, actually, I didn't follow. I thought maybe like okay, these are just like random red shirt. Death Eaters and those were like the names are like a funny coincidence, but that they were their actual names. So I didn't follow that would have been like the real actual people. Well, so so Mr. White is someone we would have known. I get like I could only of the Death Eaters we know are there. There's like was it Nut or something? I only know like I could only name like three. Yeah, I think Nut, Jugson, Malfoy, I guess Bellatrix. And Snape, I guess, are the only ones that come yeah. to my mind. Uh, um, but yeah, I was trying to think of. Um, all right, well, well, oh, it was well, Mr. White. Was it with, uh, with White? It was White Lucius Malfoy because of his hair. That would be it's my little, guess. It's a little on the nose. It, it, I mean, yeah, but they, if they, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of code names. Well, except for it's not, you know, Mr. Mr. Uh, Whatever, Mister Snake or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, <laughs> it's uh, it's still dis- Mister Brown. Some other guy, some other job. Everybody wants to be Mister Black. What would be stupid is if, like, uh, I don't know, because Bellatrix, you know, unless her voice did sound like a girl, uh, sound you know, d- uh, what do you call it, uh, non-gendered with the voice, dis- voice uh, disambiguator or whatever, mm. um, then like. She gets to be Mr. Black. If she was Mr. Black, like mm-hmm. that would be kind of like that would be way too on the nose. Unless, you know, it's three dimensional chess. Oh yeah, Mr. Black. I hadn't thought about that. Forgot about that. That's true. Oh yeah, maybe Mr. White is a black. Can't remember. Yeah, what how did we I think because didn't we change like Sirius Black in this from the original? Like Sirius Black actually did kill. But no, he didn't Sirius Black in this we implied was actually a bad guy. I don't know, um, we didn't like flesh it out, but all we knew was that uh, Peter Pettigrew was not, in fact, the Weasley family rat. The Weasley family rat. <laughs> oh, that he uh, really did die or something? Yeah. They, they, we don't actually get like 
other than that, it's up for us to speculate on. The only thing that we know is that uh, I think it was Bill that had like the psychotic break where he's like, oh my God, the pet rat, it's got to be Peter Pettigrew. And he had, mm-hmm. he had the whole basically outline of the third book in his head. Yeah. And it was just diagnosed as a standard schizophrenic break. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But, and didn't it, it sort of implied that Sirius Black really did kill Peter Pettigrew, that it wasn't like a, a setup, but that he went in there to kill him and he actually did. Yeah. We never got at least confirmation that that wasn't the case. Yeah. So like if there's another divergence from canon, that might be one of them. Yeah. Let's see. So, one of them gets yeah, crucioed and apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Crucioed people. Yeah. He does that several times just to, just cause he likes it. Well, I guess um, it's not quite just at random. It's like when when literally anybody you know says, "Oh, well, we couldn't fight Dumbledore without you," and then he tortures him for long, long seconds. And he says, "Get yeah. up! Do not lie to me again." And and then Mister Grimm uh, says something like, uh, "Yeah, I fled the country because I was a coward and didn't think you were going to come back." And like that sort of pleases Voldemort. That he's like, <laughs> what did he, I think he said like, "Oh, your candor has earned you my mercy," or something. Um, right, something like that. Yeah. I love it. No, actually, I fled. I fled Britain in cowardly fear of Dumbledore, <laughs> mm. and I had lost faith in your return. Um, yeah, and then some. Uh, I can't remember which, which one of the Death Eaters is like. Oh, is that little girl sitting on the altar? I think what is he? He calls it like a dark revel or something. But it's like just some not terribly uh, subtle way to talk about. Just like, oh, is she like a rape toy? Um, you know, who's, which you I guess know like, what the Death Eater was, Mister Friendly. Mister Friendly, <laughs> of course. Um, so no yeah, doubt so I, some like, of the Death as, Eaters are complete fucking psychopaths. Yeah. And like, it's that's one of those where you have to kind of do a double take. I mean, it did like flash me back to just the, like the weird, uh, the, you know, slap in the face reference in the beginning from Draco about like, oh, I think I'll rape her one day. <clears throat> so it had that effect too. But then I think maybe it's just because like Hermione, like your brain always just kind of substitutes Emma Watson in for it. And so then that's just like run of the mill rapiness. Um, but then you're like, oh no, wait a minute, that's a 12 year old girl on the altar. Like, oh no, it's also just like pedophilia. It's just like, okay, you're like, oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> like, that's not cool yeah. at all. Mr. Friendly, no doubt, was given his name for being possibly one of the least friendly among them. <laughs> um, oh, but that all happens after McNair tries his little rebellion, which is cute. Mm. Um, he he's like, hey, I wonder. I bet you guys are wondering why Harry Potter is at my rebirthing party. And he says, oh, I know. You mean to prove your power by killing him in front of us all. You're going to show how your killing curse can slay even the boy who lived. And he says, that is a little too much follow for me to credit Mr. Sallow. And he says, I suppose you came to prefer your laziness to my mastery, McNair. And that's then he's like floating and being, I think he's, I'm not sure if he's floating before this or not, but his floating rubber is like a huge flex because no one else knows how he does it. Was it, and did we like lawyer that in the last, uh, last week about like because he's changed bones he so put on uh he, straps yeah he, put, yeah he strapped on something and yeah there's been a lot of that i'm like oh, can we just leave it alone well if he wanted to fly and he I didn't want to right. enchant his bones he had to you know i think i think he put them on right away so that he because he knew he was gonna be summoning his death eaters and he wanted to flex his you know mysterious yeah. flight ability no, if he flew kind of, without like, any like, excuse kind of stuff then, just like detracts from the story like okay fuck we have to like Worry about every little nitpick about the plot. Okay, oh, shut so up! I love got, that he's stuff. Got the floaty bonds. It's, it's, it's like it's like fun when it, when it's like like oh, and you're going along for that. But like a lot of this is just like oh, you just like sort of covering your bases. Like okay, yes, it actually had to be true, but shit, like this is tiring. 
Mm, <clears throat> agree to disagree. All right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, McNair tries to avada cadaver him and he just dodges it. And then he mm. tries again. And this is where you called out where he's like, help me, my brothers, if we all. And then he just falls in seven mm. pieces on the ground. Not so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so then after the whole like, um, I, I don't know. It, it was probably also Mr. Friendly. was like, oh, well, if she's not like a rape toy, I could go out and get some. Right. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like he's going on a beer run or something. Like that. <laughs> Um, God damn! But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was pretty fucked up. Um, but yeah, and so like after saying that, that's when uh, Voldemort he like announces he's like you know no, not only are we is she not our dark revel for this evening, but you none of you are ever ever to fuck with her um, in any way, and you know, and that applies from now on, no matter what. <clears throat> and then this little nugget that seems like it was kind of there to be significant but we, we don't have any payoff for it yet but he's like he says this order is absolute regardless of other circumstances even if she escapes let us say and then i think he does a ha 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 after that um so yeah i'm not quite sure to, what to make of that but but it does sort of like say like oh no he really does like none of that is a is a fake out like he has gone to a whole lot of trouble to make sure hermione is going to be okay yeah, I guess this was his plausible way of saying, like, not having to explain the situation. Like, I got Harry his best friend back so that he doesn't, yeah. you know, so he can have a check on his insanity. Uh, without explaining all that, he's just like, nope, it's one of my experiments. If you guys fuck with it, I will kill. I will. What does he say? Like, um, you will, you're better off dead if I learned my little experiment came to harm at your hands. Yeah. yeah. Although doesn't he like very shortly after in the same chapter, I think, doesn't he say out loud in front of everybody else, like what his that his reasons for doing this are to keep her around as like a sanity restoring force on Harry. I think that was right before he summoned him. He told Harry uh, that. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So then at this point we get one of the robes and, or I guess at this point it's Mr. White and he says, you know, Hey, uh, you know, I'd never defy you. I'm, as, I'm, I'm obedient. Totally right. Master. But you know, he, he's asking like, I got to return, you know, I, I won't have an all alibi to offer. And uh, uh, this is then where, yeah, you mentioned where he's like, yeah, you know what? We don't need alibis and all that shit. Also, I don't have any need of you anymore, Mr. White. But in two days' time, we're going to, the Death Eaters shall walk openly. Um, I killed Dumbledore. We're going to slay all the other named uh, strong people in the next, or tomorrow. Oh, yeah, going to take out Susan Bones, or not Susan Bones, whatever. Uh, Amelia Bones. Adult Bones, Amelia Bones. Yeah. Crouch, Bones. Moody, Scrimgore. Yeah. All the, all the big names. And then, uh, the rest of you shall go to the Ministry Little of Magic, and cast imperious curses, and we're finished waiting. By tomorrow's nightfall, I shall have declared myself Lord Ruler of Britain. Lord Ruler. Huzzah! Woot. Yes, this, this <laughs> one, Mr. Grimm, he's, th- that's where he says the funny thing. is like, oh yeah, no, I'm glad to hear you dispatched to Dumbledore. I had fled in, from Britain, cowardly fear of him, having lost faith in <laughs> your return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's some like, like, weird like inappropriate laughter from Grimm a few times it totally makes him come off as this like nutcase <clears throat> like laughs at the wrong times yeah kind of like little, so little character. there's a way to dissect Mr. Grimm that if you had had an encyclopedic memory of canon you'd be able to guess who it was um, oh yeah see I, I I wasn't even in my head thinking of these people as <clears throat> I hadn't been thinking of them as code names so I wasn't trying to like like figure out like who was who. Um, see, that's the thing with like I can't even even from from the original. I can't 
you know, remember lots and lots of Death Eaters, especially as like rememberable characters. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, the hint is that it it was just it was the Grim a lot in yeah. the third book. Well, the Grim was just like the, the boogie. Well, yeah, the Grim was the like the boogeyman that um, Trelawney kept bringing up. Like, oh my god, I can see the Grim in your. And then Harry leaves. kept 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 seeing it like not in tea leaves. And yeah, it just turned out I don't to be associate a dog. that with a. Yeah. So is that, oh, is that so? Is that well? Yeah, who's a dog? Yeah, no, so are we thinking like, oh, it might be what, serious? That's my guess. Or are we thinking, you guess, like when we decided that serious is a Death Eater? I mean, so yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily like I thought of this immediately. A lot of this was mm-hmm. during the awesome analysis slash day, two day, two and a half days of panic of trying to figure out everything. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was grabbing every viable clue. And so <laughs> I think it, and then that combined with the fact that we didn't get confirmation that Sirius Black didn't in fact kill Peter Pettigrew makes it plausible that he was actually a death eater in methods of rationality and that really was, Mr. Yeah. Grimm would be a great name for him. And Mr. Grimm is the one that he says, Hey, if the boy you lived offered you a promise, would you trust him? And he's like, what do you mean? He says, answer me. This is not a trick, Mr. Grimm. And you will answer truthfully or bear the consequences. You knew the boy's forebears. Did you not knew them for straightforward uh, folk? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, and I sort of got the impression that like, so it, it and it's, it is because there were two people that he made like go through with the unbreakable vow thing, but only one of them was like, who was going to like give up their magic. So and it, it takes three. Who's the other it, guy? He, he explained the, uh, the ritual of the, of the unbreakable vow at great length when like he was describing a simple unbreakable vow mm. after the whole Tracy Davis hallway scene to Harry. Mm. Um, so in this, I like this a lot too. The Unbreakable Vow is more serious than just like, I remember in the Half-Blood Prince, uh, um, Snape makes an Unbreakable Vow to Narcissa saying, I'll protect your son. Yeah. And what happens if you break the vow? You die. Um, in this, it's not like a thing that you can just decide not to do. Even yeah, you can, it's, it's like, it's the way you- just you, can't. It's, it's not like, oh, if you now. do, you'll die. It's just, you just, just can't. Right. And they made it more serious in that it's a sacrificial ritual. So what you sacrifice is the potential for trust that you could have had if the promise was made without binding magic. So you need the person uh, making the vow, the person sacrificing their trust. And so I guess the person making the vow is sacrificing their ability for free choice. And then somebody's magic maintains the vow forever. So he uses Mr. White uh, to maintain the vow. And I kind of like, I like like the way that, Voldemort was kind of like interrogating them about, uh, he's like, okay, would you trust him if he made a, uh, a promise to you? Uh, and he says, yes, like Voldemort understands those things only as like check boxes on the contract of the spell <laughs> rather than like having any sort of like actual meaning for how humans interact. That's a good point. Yeah. He's, he's looking just for a requisite for his spell uh, here. I wonder what he would have done if he, you know, it's not like he could have sworn to anyone else. Then again, maybe uh, Lucius would have believed a promise from the boy who lived. He certainly did in the bank, right? When they signed all the paperwork together. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I got the impression. That, yeah, and especially from like Voldemort's point of view, it didn't need to be some like like special, significant, emotional, whatever. It was just like, well, you would believe it, wouldn't you? Like that was enough. So yeah, I could. I like. I sort of saw it as like probably anybody in that room could have stood in the same place, and as long as you know. As long as they had just sort of a basic level of, yeah, I don't think he would be lying to me, so I would trust it. Like it wasn't some like super significant, you know, bond of trust or anything. It was 
just generic trust. Yeah, I think the potential for trust has to exist in there um, from the person receiving the vow, uh, not the person giving it. So like, you know, Lord Jugson wouldn't believe a promise from Harry Potter, right? So, or maybe not, yeah. probably not. I guess I'm sort of the impression, like it didn't need to be anything like super significant. It would just be sort of like the very mundane sense of like, do you believe they are like not lying when they promise? That's, that's probably it. Yeah. And so, and so then it would be, then it kind of would, then I would think like kind of anybody in there would think like, okay, it's Harry Potter. And he, if he promised, he promised. So yeah, I guess I probably believe him. So it wasn't some like super, you know, deep, meaningful kind of trust, but just kind of run-of-the-mill trust that's probably fair yeah and if if the guess that mr grimm is serious black then that's just voldemort being extra sure that there's some yeah. extra layer of trust there hey yeah. you would have believed his parents back when they made promises to you right well would you believe yeah. their son um that works all right so and then who's the other because so there's two and he makes them like walk up behind harry so that everybody still has their wands pointed <laughs> right in the right direction uh the, the one <laughs> maintaining the vow is mr white Mr. White, okay. Yeah. Uh, so then we think this is probably Lucius and Sirius. That's my guess. All right. All right. I might be giving stuff away because this is kind of the accepted wisdom, but like, you know, at this point we're in the end game. There's not a lot of stuff to. It doesn't seem like, um, unless there is something later that comes up where it matters, but it doesn't seem like it, it's, you know, super important who it is. Um, right. But like specifically. But yeah, so, and then he goes to this super, and it's kind of weird because we go to like a whole lot of trouble to describe all of this of the, so he's going to make, yeah, yeah it was kind of puzzling on a few levels, but so he goes to a very specific uh, lawyer approved, you know, listing of all of the vows he's, you know, all of the conditions Harry needs to meet that, uh, which reminded me a lot of sort of like the Asimov three laws of robotics because they were so like trying to get into like the nitpicky about like, through inaction or you cannot do, but if it is, then you must not. Um, Given that the author is an artificial intelligence researcher, I'm betting that the parallels were super deliberate. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It did make me, at least, uh, yeah, my, like my understanding of how like AI works is that it's not about like laying out all of these, um, you know, exp- that it's not a lawyer rule. It's, you know, setting up kind of fuzzy relationships between things, but I don't know. It, it is um, not lawyer rules. That's the thing is like, I mean, you can, you can, unless you're able to lawyer your way into something so complicated that you might as well be able to just tell it like more specifically how to get things done. Um, the the solution to like aligning an artificial intelligence would not be giving it thirty five rules yeah. you can't break, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, it's 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 not some legal contract that gets those uh, creepy ass dog faces coming out of people's shoulders and those AI generated pictures what you know have you ever seen they're like ai generated it like starts with like like uh they're images but they're like and it'll start with sort of like source material but it'll it's just ai generated images but they're and a lot of time you'll see them sort of like animated it's not quite the right right word for it but oh like those transition things where they move yeah yeah so like faces will show up out of nowhere like it'll just like there'll be some like circle you know, in the pattern on somebody's shirt and the AI will decide that looks a little bit like an eye and then like a face will like pop up, you know, yeah, out those of are person's horrifying. shirt. Yeah, it's, it's totally good. It was like sort of like the nightmare. It's like, it always struck me as like, okay, that's kind of like the visceral experience of like, this is the really sort of scary alien, 
you know, thing that an AI will start to be. It's not, it's not like we're trying to sort of simulate humans, but it's going to be this like nightmare imitation of the thing. Cause it started, you do kind of get this, this sense of it taking on, like when it stops being, it's, it's stopped being a simulation and it's starting to be kind of its own thing. Uh, and it's just like deeply alien and weird and disturbing. I think you're nailing it. That, that, that alienness is like the core thing that people miss, especially cause like, you know, whatever everyone's pop culture reference is like uh, the Terminator Hal. or yeah, Hal or whatever. Like the other, when, whenever humans make an artificial general intelligence, it's not going to be basically a human that's smart unless we make yeah. it that way, like by augmenting a human brain or by uploading a human and making it run faster. Right. Yeah. But if you build it from scratch, it's going to be from scratch. And so it's going to find, if you tell it to find faces, it's going to do it in that weird, horrifying way like you find in pictures. That's it. So that, in a way yeah, that, that is unhu- inhuman and unimaginable to us because that's not how humans work, right? I know. And that's kind of like the weird part of it. You're starting to like, that's where at least like your perception of it, like you're starting to feel like, not that it's like alive at that point, but you're like, oh, these are the beginning bits of what it feels like for the thing to actually take on a life of its own. This is like the very like molecular beginning of an actual consciousness. It's not there at all yet, but like, this is how it starts. And it kind of gives you that understanding of like, oh, it's not, it's not going to be the thing. It's not going to be like a simulation of us. It's going to start to be its own thing, which is going to like be so very, very different from us that we're going to find it creepy as shit. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. And you know, it's, it's one of those, uh, like if you're, if you're to get super pedantic about it, like, it's it's hard to it's improper to guess specifically what it'll be like because if you could guess that then you would be able to understand it at this point right it's like the i think the other adage that's usually given like when you're thinking about super intelligence in general which is a little uh tangential to this but it's kind of related is like you you don't necessarily understand what you in fact you probably won't understand why it's doing what it's doing because you're not as smart as it is right yeah. It's like if you and I are playing chess against Gary Kasparov and he makes a move, you and I don't know why he did it, but we know that he did it because it's a it's going to get him closer to winning. And like yeah. if for us to know what move he would make, we'd have to be as good as chess as he is. Yeah. And well, so- it's also like, yeah, even though like we're not going to understand, like we can't predict what it's going to be like, we can at least see like, I think we carry it around in our heads that we are going to understand it as being some kind of like how or, you know, commander data kind of like we think we understand what it's going to be like and it's sort of like at least lets you see like you know we don't at all know it's, it's going to be really really different um so that that is the concern that i think people at places like miri have which is like you know if, if you're just rushing to build an agi because you're sure that hey if we get something that's smarter than people to build us some marketing material then it'll draw eyes better than you know the best human marketing team on the planet um things could go weird really fast because they're anticipating that it'll be just like a human marketing team, except better. Yeah. Right. Like the, I, th- I, I think the, um, you know, just to, you know, sound like, or I guess just to fully announce that I fully drunk the Kool-Aid. I think the people at Miri are doing artificial intelligence research correctly and uh, are, are going at the problem from the right angles with the right concerns. Um, but the only reason all that came up is because this vow sounds like uh the the three laws yeah, of robotics. Like so, yeah. And it's I mean, just yeah, it's like laying a lot of like parameters for behavior. 
Yeah, I think it's like the like the longest paragraph in this in the chapter, so I won't read it. But the, but he does say at least in it that like you know we the the whole vow is the point of this is because we're trying to uh, uh oh he does say there's a prophecy of destruction, but he doesn't say what Hermione's role is in it so, or in trying to avert it. So he doesn't tell his Death Eaters that, but he does say that uh you know Mr. Potter was is is a prophesied force of great destruction, and so we're going to make him swear a vow to not like you know to not destroy the world. Now, how do we do that without fucking things up? We've got to be very, very careful and bringing your lawyers here sounds super appropriate. So uh, yeah, it seemed weird to me because like the stuff that he included in the vow seemed like all the things, like they were the stuff you didn't need to get a promise out of Harry for that. Or at least like, I wasn't like, I'm not worried that like, Oh, Harry's going to decide that like, Oh, destroying the universe is going to be a really good idea. It's going to be something that either like, happens on accident or it's going to be some kind of like monkey paw thing that like he gets cornered into needing to do it. And so this is that, but, but yeah, but he, so he makes him promise. feels like he makes him promise a bunch of stuff that you didn't need to make Harry promise, but then gives him outs like for when, you, whenever it would run into some kind of like monkey paw scenario, like those kind of explicitly weren't covered anyway, because he gives him all kinds of outs for you know basically unless it doesn't make sense Um, i think yeah the the vow is like um i shall not by any act of mine destroy the world which yeah i mean does harry need to make that part of the vow like probably not because that's not the kind of thing harry would want to do but making it so that he can't sounds like a safe move if it's been prophesied that he will right um so i shall take no chances and not destroying the world if my hand is forced, I shall take the course of lesser destruction over greater destruction, unless it seems to me that this vow itself leads to the world's end, and the friend in whom I have confided honestly agrees that this is so. By my own free will, so shall it be. And I guess he does so, make him promise, basically makes him promise, you know, you're going to sanity check any major decisions you make with Hermione. Which, which is even probably one not something. Yeah. And not something that, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, yeah, not something that you could count on on Harry always doing. And, you know, you could count on Harry always having good intentions, but not necessarily trust that he's always going to, you know, run it by somebody first. Right. So and I guess that part's good. Yeah. Now he had to. I, he promised. So I, I've been thinking about this a bit. The pinkiest pinky days. promised in all of wizardry. Right. The the An unbreakable pinky promise. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about this because we just did the last chapter – what two days ago and so i don't have that much time between that one and this one to give it some thought but i try to think if this vow is sufficient if i was in voldemort's shoes is there anything i would have added or changed or something in the vow like because this is just one step in the you know uh cut destiny off at all possible points of intervention right yeah but like i so i didn't really get i didn't really get further than just asking myself the question is this vow sufficient if i was in voldemort's shoes and yeah see to me that's kind of like kind of what I was just saying. It seems like it's overkill in one sense and then doesn't at all cover you for other things. So yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't seem like it were like, this isn't a good way to cover your bases. I think the main thing that it does is like if Harry had this really cool idea for like, Oh my God, I've got this great idea for how we can teleport all humanity to, you know, a space station or something. Um, Like unless he can get, it might sort of kind of destroy all of humanity. What was that? And it only maybe will destroy all of the universe. Right. Like, so, I mean, Harry's the kind of guy so far who has been able to like talk himself into things or 
say, no, no, this is probably for the right, for the right reasons um, without like really checking himself on that. And I guess this vow makes him do that. Yeah. Like, and, and so like, unless he could convince Hermione that like, Hey, this great idea I had to teleport everyone to space is a good idea. Then he literally can't do it anymore. So like any, the whole, the whole, the purpose of the vow was like any clever ideas that he had any you know, his, his reckless foolishness, all that stuff, um, all his grandiose schemes and good intentions. He shall not risk them leading to disaster. He shall not gamble with the earth's fate. No researches that might lead to catastrophe, no unbinding of seals, no opening of gates. So like, I don't know, say if he were able to find a way to uh, break the interdict of Merlin or something. Yeah. Like he couldn't do it now. That's part of the vow's intention. And so he would have to explain to Hermione, Hey, I think it's a good idea. And here's how I think I could do it without killing everybody. What do you think? Um, yeah. So it says that you will not trust yourself alone in making such a determination. You must confide honestly and fully in your trusted friend and see if that one agrees. Such is this vow's meaning and intent. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, cause part of it, him being sort of like hyper aware of all the ways that like a, trying to weasel out of a prophecy turns into some kind of like monkey paw thing that because he has to like sort of cover all his bases with that. It ends, I think it ends up sort of like for the most, I think not as we're talking through it, other than the, like you have to run everything by Hermione first. um, He's had to like qualify everything so much that it ends up not being much of a vow to make. Like he's, it's not actually that, all that restrictive because of all the caveats he has to put on everything in trying to cover his bases or, you know, in trying to keep it from turning into monkey paw. Um, it ends up like not being able to enforce too much. Yeah. I guess, well, I, I'm trying to think of like hypotheticals that it would or would not enforce. And I'll, I guess when I'm looking at it, it does seem like in the three minutes or so since I first raised the question and then thinking while also listening on the air, like, I think this vow is pretty sufficient. Like it, it covers the the main bases, right? Don't do anything stupid and don't like, don't let this vow stop you from like trying to save the world. If it seems like it's already happening. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that caveat actually. Those, all, seem like, important, those right? all sort of seem like things you didn't need to get a promise out of Harry for like you were getting, like you kind of already had that. So it didn't feel it's like true. it was like restricting his actions very much from what he was going to do anyway. I think that that's the, um, like, just as far as being super thorough, like, it. so what he's doing is he's sacrificing Harry's choice to make any determination like that. Now, would Harry have deliberately chosen to, whatever, let greater destruction destroy the planet instead of lesser destruction? No, he talks in utilitarian language, right? Would he deliberately blow the earth up? No, but this this is the, this takes away the possibility that he can, right? So, like, if he's a prophesied force of destruction... Like, what if Harry has a stroke and turns into an even worse kind of Voldemort? Well, now even that person can't destroy the destroy the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if he gets Phineas Gage through the head and becomes an asshole, well, even that Harry can't decide. You know what? Fuck this planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, yeah, I guess like if we're if you've like busted this rule up and like couldn't even have just made like Harry take an unbreakable vow that like for the rest of your days you're going to do nothing but collect Pokemon, like. And that's all you get to do from now on. So I so guess there's definitely no destroying of the universe. The, I think maybe, I mean, yeah. Like for the, for the rest of your life, you're not to leave this spot. Like that would yeah. have been a, like that. 
I think the concern there is that like, what if, what if there's already something set in motion that Harry Potter needs to get in the way of or something? Um, It's, it's a good question. That might, that would have definitely been a more restrictive vow. And like, since he does plan on, we get to in the next minute after we learn that the vow took, took, then he says, and by the way, I'm going to kill the fuck out of you. But now, now that we've got that covered. Right. And he says, great. Now we shall kill the boy who lived. <laughs> Mr. White staggers. Mr. Grimm is laughing. And he says, I did not do that to be funny. We are dealing with a prophecy. We're snipping the threads of destiny one by one, carefully, not knowing when we may first encounter resistance. And so it is, it is delivered kind of like in the funny moment, though. He's like, return to your places. All right. Now we kill him. So, now that, and so if I'm understanding this right now, so Grimm just is basically now a squib. Like he gave up his all of his magic in order to fuel that unbreakable vow. Grimm gave his trust in Harry to uh, believe his words. Mr. White sacrificed a bunch of magic. I don't think all of it, but oh, lots. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so they both gave up something. Okay. Yeah. So Mr. Grimm sacrificed his trust and Mr. White sacrificed his, uh, literally his magic. Not all of it, but some. He does say, please, I've lost so much. I've been punished enough. But he didn't say I'm a squib now. And he did have him go back and, you know, train his wand on Harry again. So apparently he can still do right. something. Yeah. It kind of makes you, you know, like, we, stick. yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he moves, run over and stab him with your stick. Um, all right. So do you want to read just for fun the whole, like, here's how we're going to kill him? Because it's it's hilariously over the top. Yeah, it's Voldemort. And it's funny, like, in this chapter, like, I've... St- I've gone now to, I'm kind of in this halfway state of thinking of, thinking of him as Quirrell, but also Voldemort. It doesn't seem, it doesn't quite fit anymore to just call him Quirrell, except sometimes. But anyway, um, I did not do that to be funny, Voldemort said coldly. We're dealing with a prophecy, fools. We're snipping the threads of destiny one by one, carefully, carefully, not knowing when we may first encounter resistance. This is the order in which the next act shall be done. First... Harry Potter shall be stunned, then his limbs severed and the wounds cauterized. <laughs> Mr. Friendly and Mr. Honor, well, I wonder who Mr. Honor is, um, will examine him for any trace of unusual magics. One of you shall shoot the boy many times with my muggle weapon, and then as many of you as can shall strike him with the killing curse. Only then will Mr. Grimm crush his skull and brains with the mundane substance of a tombstone. I shall verify his corpse, then his corpse shall be burned with fiend fire, then we will exercise the surrounding area in case he has left a ghost. I myself will guard this place until six hours have passed, for I do not fully trust the wards I have set against time's looping, and four of you shall search the surroundings for signs of anything noteworthy. Even after that, we must remain vigilant for any sign of Harry Potter's renewed presence in case Dumbledore has left some unimagined trick in play. If you can think of any trick that I've missed in being sure. Right. (laughs) If you can think of any trick I've missed in being sure that Mr. That Harry Potter's threat is ended, speak now and I shall reward you handsomely and speak now in Merlin's name, you know, and he's telling you bunch of fucking idiots, say something. And so (laughs) I, I do like even going so far as to say, we will exercise the area for ghosts. And they're all going to punch some ghosts together for a while. Oh, punching ghosts is tight. Get out of here. Ghosts. Oh, do you think you got one just now? God, I hope so. That was a good punch. (laughs) like i i'm trying to think i mean if you're if you're trying to kill this kid i think that's pretty thorough um you know shoot him with my muggle weapon 
as many of you as you can, she'll strike him with the killing curse. Not just one, not one killing curse that's never, ever failed before, but, you know, a bunch of you. Let's hit him a bunch of times. Um, and then you'll smash his skull and brains with a tombstone <laughs> and then burn his corpse with fiend fire. What's hilarious is that any one of these would be certain death, right? Um, he'll, he'll hang out for six hours. So anyway, he's gone just and he'll be full hog. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it, it illustrates the seriousness, right? He's he's like, we're not fucking around here. Um, well, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's, he's like thoroughly prepared. And all of this is after he just like made Harry go through this uh, to over the top unbreakable vow. So it's yeah. Uh, Voldemort's like fully aware that, you know, this is a prophecy. You cannot fuck with prophecy and prophecies will always try to, you know, find some technicality to get out on. So we're going to cover all the bases. Yep. And then he turns to Harry and well, he tells everyone, all right, I'm going to talk to him in, in parcel tongue. If he says anything, but hisses shoot him. Um, and then, yeah, like he pulled out, he says that it was said that you would have the power. I know not. I've already learned the muggle arts from you and I'm studying them. Um, your power over life eaters must be comprehended for for oneself or so you say, if there's any other power you possess that I may come to have, tell me of it now. Else I intend to torment certain of those you care for. Some lives I've already promised you, but others I did not. Your mudblood servants and your little army, your precious parents, all shall suffer for what seemed to be seemed to them like eternities, and then I shall send them broken into the life eater prison to remember it until the, till they waste and die. For each unknown power you tell me how to master, or other secret you tell me that I desire to know, you may name one more of those instead to be protected and honored under my reign. So then he says, waste not thoughts of escape or waste not in waste not time in thoughts of escape. See, that's why I had you read the long one. Cause I can't read, um, <laughs> waste not time in thoughts of escape. If you care for those ones, you have 60 seconds to begin telling me something I wish to know. And then your death begins. <laughs> so you got the author's note in your, yeah, yeah. whatever you're reading this in, right? Okay. Yeah. So this was awesome. This was so cool when this went down um everyone freaked out it was great so the this was as everyone knows and it's also the name of the chapter uh this is your final exam you have 60 hours your solution must at least allow harry to evade immediate death despite being naked holding only his wand facing 36 death eaters plus the fully resurrected lord Voldemort. if a viable solution is posted before and he lists the time and date march 3rd 2015 uh, the story will continue to chapter 121 Otherwise, you will get a shorter, sadder ending. So he held the whole the whole audience hostage by saying, all right, it's time for you guys to put your ingenuity to task. Keep in mind the following. And I'm going to have you try and guess some stuff as I'm listing all this out. So, And if anyone, uh, I know we have at least one person listening who hasn't read the story. Um, if you uh, haven't read the next chapter by the time you hear this one or finish this one, um, do try and just for fun, think of some answers. It's, it's, a, it's a good time. Um, just in full disclosure, I didn't get it by myself. Uh, I thought of the shorter, sadder ending. Um, so anyway, the first, well, there's not, there's not like one. I mean, there's one way that the next chapter plays out, but it wasn't done. as like, Oh, there's one correct answer to this. Was it, it was more like, you know, there's all kinds of ways this could go. Come think of some that are viable. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it just has to be a viable one. And one was chosen for the story. Um, but yeah, so the, the constraints are Harry must succeed via his own efforts. The cavalry is not coming. Everyone who might help, help help Harry thinks he's at a Quidditch game. 
Harry must or may only use capabilities the story has already shown him to have. He cannot develop wordless, wandless legitimacy in the next 60 seconds. Three, Voldemort is evil and cannot be persuaded to be good. The Dark Lord's utility function cannot be changed by talking to him. Four, if Harry raises his wand or speaks anything except parcel tongue, the Death Eaters will fire upon him immediately. Five, if the simplest timeline is otherwise one where Harry dies, if Harry cannot reach his time turner without time turned help, then the time turner will not come into play. Six, it is impossible to tell lies in parcel tongue. Within these constraints, Harry is allowed to attain his full potential as a rationalist now, in this moment, or never, regardless of his previous flaws. Um, so and then he says, of course, the rational solution, if you're using the word rational correctly, is a needlessly fancy way of saying the best solution, or the solution I like, or the solution I think we should use. And you should usually say one or the latter instead. Um, and then he goes on with some more constraints about, uh, like, this is Vinge's principle. Uh, Werner Vinge was the... Um, sci-fi writer who I think was at some of the early sci- artificial intelligence conferences. He might have, that. he might've coined the phrase artificial intelligence. No, he coined something. It wasn't that. Oh, he did a good job of like, he, he did. You can tell he actually did some computer programming at some point because he really captured the essence of the shittiness of dealing with legacy software. I think he, I think described the far future is just a nightmare of dealing with legacy software. That's hilarious. I think Vinji talked about the fast takeoff scenario in AI, which is where, say, you build an AI that is capable of writing artificial intelligences and can just rewrite its own code and make itself better recursively. Um, that I think Vinji talked about that. Uh, so, but anyway, Vinji's principle: if you know exactly what a smart mind would do, you must be at least that smart yourself. Asking someone would an optimal player make or think this is the best move should produce answers no better than "What do you think is best." Um, there's the whole lot of text here. I've read almost all of it, but I'll skip the rest except for to say that, um, it like the, the point is that you can't just give a basic outline saying Harry should persuade Voldemort to let him out of the box. If you can't figure out yourself how, um, yeah, Harry's allowed to solve the problem as you would solve it. If you can tell me exactly how something would be done, Harry's allowed to think of it. So that's about it. The other cool, like twist with the way of, um, he, he accepted reviews on fanfiction.net, uh, because that helps boost the ratings and findability on fanfiction.net and thus radically increase the findability of this book when it was almost done. Um, so that was fun. Anyway, cool. let's see. So Brian, time to guess. What do you got? What do you got? So I haven't come up with any kind of like magic solution, but so like the things that made me think of were, um, and it was very much this like image of, uh, actually, it remind, we, we talked about it a few episodes ago. That uh, what's the uh, super hot? Is that the name of the game? Yes. Where you're like in a, like it's like a time like your the entire game that happens in bullet time. Yep. This this image of Harry surrounded by uh, thirty seven Death Eaters all pointing wands at him, entirely naked in front of Voldemort, reminded me. I think like one of the like uh, levels near the end of Super Hot is. Um, if anybody hasn't listened, it's actually a really cool game. You should go ahead and get, I think it's on Steam. You can go out and play it right now. But yeah, like uh, that whole game is just like, uh, it's sort of like a kind of a cross between a shooter and a puzzle because like time basically doesn't move unless you move. So, uh, and like every sort of level is a little bit sort of like a puzzle in that you are just a person surrounded by way too many people all trying to shoot you and kill you. Um, but nothing moves unless you move. So you can look all around and decide what you're going to do. 
I got uh, I got three jump in points there. One is that it's also available, I think, on PlayStation or Xbox, maybe both. It's um, a really cool game. I actually I almost wanted to go out and like buy it again to play it some more. But. I think I got I got it on the cheap on I think it's on PlayStation, but one of those. Um, yeah. Two, like the the thing about time basically not moving because uh, well, I mean that's the game mechanic, but that's also like how an artificial artificial intelligence might work, right? Oh, like yeah. humans operate at something like a hundred to 200 Hertz, uh, mm-hmm. which is like one, if you average to 150, like one, uh, what, 300, wait, damn it. I had the number. Anyway, the, the theoretical maximum of, is like the speed of light, right? That's how fast information could move. Um, and are moving we're, at we're a hundred Hertz, but we're like a, you know, billion core processor. True. But if you had, if you had a, if you had an, uh, an AI that was a human in every sense, except that it ran at computer speed, it would be uh, just a million times smarter for running that much faster. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be kind of like uh, the movie uh, shit upgrade. Um, that, that. It was fun. It didn't, it wasn't all that popular for some reason, not, but it was like, it's not a spoiler to say the guy gets like a, a chip implanted in his brain. That's an, an artificial intelligence. And when he lets it pilot, um, like he's getting his ass whooped and the thing's saying, Hey, if you let me take over, I can win this fight. And he's like, yeah, go for it. And then it's just this delightful, hilariously OP, uh, stomp fest where the guy is just crushing the guy trying to beat him because the AI is processing things way faster than the human brain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives me a nice segue here to, oh, I'll save that actually for later. There's the line where Harry should persuade Voldemort to let him out of the box. Doesn't count as a viable solution. Um, let him out of the box is the nomenclature in the AI field for like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's formerly former position of just being dismissive of like AI as being the least bit scary. Cause it's like, yeah, but I could just unplug it or shoot it with a shotgun. Um, that was Neil deGrasse Tyson's position, but then he had a conversation with Sam Harris about it and changed his mind, which is cool. Um, the, the thing is, is like if you're uh or maybe he actually heard Eliezer's rebuttal to that. Cause like the, the answer is very simple. Like you're not giving, if there's, if there's an AI in a box saying, you know, not wanting to be killed and you're pointing a gun at it, you're not giving it any credit. If you're like, if it can communicate you with you, can communicate with you at all. You're just not even giving it any credit whatsoever. If you're thinking, well, I'd just shoot it. Right. What would you do if you're trapped in a cell and someone is pointing a gun at you? You're trying to argue with the person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, that's the let him out of the box uh, scenario. And there's nerdy stories associated with that that we can get into later. So I don't want to interrupt your guessing flow there for way longer than I just did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like having, so my first thoughts in the uh, sense of super hot is that, Oh yeah. And the level I was going to talk about, which is a cool level is like one of them, you are trapped in an elevator uh, surrounded by four guys who I think, if, if I remember, have already started to shoot at you. Um, but because like the whole thing's in bullet time, um, you are able to like dodge. But so it's like, how quickly can you kill like the four people that are standing right next to you in an elevator? Like, I think maybe it's, I don't know if it's four, but anyway. Um, like, so it's like impossible, an impossible situation. The cool thing about the game is it, it like on some strange level starts to feel like plausible the way you like are able to kill the like four people standing around you that have already shot you. Um, but so with that in mind, as I'm picturing like Harry having 37 wands pointed at him was okay. If Harry's going to live through this, 
uh, you can't like 37 people with wands is, uh, you know, as powerful as Voldemort is like, that's, that's like one problem that we could try to come up with a trick to solve. But, uh, the 37 death eaters pointing a wand at you is like kind of insurmountable. So that seems like that's the first thing that's got to get like, you know, eliminated is like, how do we, he's not going to be able to like suddenly defeat 37 death eaters. So we need to like, just take them out of the equation. So like the first thing running through my head, so I, I don't have like a good solution for it, but the first thing in my head is that he needs to get Voldemort to basically dismiss the, he, he needs to make the 37 death eaters go away. And he's not gonna be able to do that just by like fighting. So he's got to do something that convinces Voldemort to just tell them to go away or convinces Voldemort to like, okay, you and me, let's leave. Um, and get away from this. Like you gotta have some way to like take them out of the equation. The thought, like the where I started going with a thought was so Voldemort's saying you have to tell me, you have to give me some kind of power that I don't yet know about. Um, and he kind of already did shoot down the. He said like, um, you know, your power over the life eaters is you know something that I'll have to learn for myself. So he's sort of like it's sort of like he's trying to preemptively shut that down, but. Um, my thought was, and I guess it's not directly him talking about it, like his power over the Death Eaters or of the Dementors, but that that Harry could say, okay, and because like Quirrell saw, I believe that in that very first, like Quirrell has seen that Harry can can cast the Human Patronus, right? Like he already, yeah, he's on, he, he's on the short list of people that know about that. Yeah, he was in. He saw it. He saw it the first time, and then they used it all through Azkaban, and he used it to resurrect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what Harry, so it seemed to me what Harry could say, and I think he could even say it in parcel tongue, um, as long as he, you know, phrases it carefully. But um, what he could say was, I think, you know, it's not necessarily the case that I can't teach this to you. Um, so, how about I try to teach it to you? Um, and let me, like, explain, because I don't think he ever, he never explained to Quirrell like the trick about, Oh, you have to believe that like death can be conquered, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so that seems to me at least like all plot. I mean, yeah, Quirrell can't even cast right the Patronus, but neither I, can Harry. I, I, well, I guess not. I guess Harry could have, I guess it's more like he overshot, right? No, I mean, he, well, he couldn't on his first several tries. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, the ordinary form wouldn't work for him, but the 2.0 would. Yeah. But so I feel like Harry could say, could truthfully say, I think it's still possible we could, uh, that you could cast a Patronus and I could teach you how to cast this one that nobody else does, especially since you and me are basically the same person and I can. It seems like that's a pretty good basis to think that it's possible that you could too. So like, so that like meets the criteria if you're like, you know, Voldemort just said like, okay, tell, give me some kind of power I don't already have and I'll let you live and I'm, and I'll, you know, kill people. Or actually he doesn't, he doesn't even promise to let him live, does he? It's like, I will, I'm still going to kill you, but I will torture the people you love less. I will honor them under my rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, one per secret. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, he, he, you know, unless he can think of, I mean, I, Harry cares about a lot of people, right? Yeah. And I, I can think of a couple of secrets that he might want to share, share with Voldemort that would, would save one or two, but he's not able to save everybody. Yeah. Well, I guess, so my like i guess i immediately went to he can't like he he's not going to honor like the ter- that the terms of that agreement um except to get 
Voldemort to play along. So it's all just sort of like buying time for something else. So it kind of doesn't like, oh, if he's only got one thing to give up and he's only going to save one person with it, that kind of doesn't matter because like, that's not, that's not going to be how he gets out. So it's got to be just sort of like the lead into some kind of fuckery that lets him pull off something else. But so my, th- and so I guess, cause like I'm first thinking we've got a, like step zero is, you know, get rid of 37 death eaters and then try to come up with some magic trick to, um, to overcome Voldemort. Um, but that he could use that, that the thing, the, the thing that I think I've said multiple times seems kind of like, uh, sketchy to me, but the idea that, oh, this is like a secret that you can't let, you know, the rest of the world know about that he could, he could say to Voldemort, okay, I can try to teach you the Patronus 2.0, but you don't want all these assholes standing around hearing me explain it to them, do you? Um, that seems pretty weak and sketchy and has all kinds of ways that, that Quirrell could be too smart to fall for it, but that somehow he could use that as a way to like, okay, let's, you know, you and me get out of this graveyard, go somewhere else, or tell all the Death Eaters to go away. But that could be sort of a way that he gets... Um, that he gets 37 wands pointed at him to go away. Cause that seems, that's sort of like a base level requirement to getting out of this. Um, and then I had sort of like super lame ideas of like, you know, that something about casting the Patronus would then make, you know, Voldemort. Uh, yeah. I guess not, not like, Oh, then suddenly he would become a good dick guy when he saw the beauty of living forever. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That wouldn't really work, but that there'd be some kind of, that especially and because we had seen sort of like the power of like the Avada Kedavra against Harry's Patronus, that like Harry being given an out to be able to cast it might give him some kind of like opportunity to then use it to get out of there. Um, it would at least be a shield, right? Yeah, yeah, or something. So that's I get like I've only gotten as far as like oh let's do some stuff that just sort of like you know, flips the table over and then maybe some opportunity will present itself. Um, so I haven't thought of anything that's like the, aha, this is how you could defeat it. I get like the kind of the idea I'm running with though, which is kind of consistent with the way the rest of the story works is that, uh, and, and was it kind of hated it a lot as during like that dungeon scenes leading up to this was like, however this is going to play out. It's not going to be like, he's not going to tank Voldemort. Um, it's not going to be something where he just like kind of goes up against him and like wins on that level. It's going to have to be something very kind of clever, nerdy, rationalisty, where Harry kind of changes the rules of the game, um, so that so that it's no, so it's no longer about oh how can I just kind of like outpower the the most powerful wizard on the planet, but like where that's no longer necessary. Um, so, and I still like, have a great one that it made me and where the, I think like the seed for like when it was, um, when we first say, okay, it's like a naked kid with nothing but a wand standing in the middle of a graveyard, uh, where that made me think was like, oh, we're kind of going to the explicit trouble of, I guess I thought of like his clothing as, it made the clothing sort of stand out as just like arbitrary bits of matter and as a, um, and so that's where it like pinged is the like, okay, that's one of the special hairy things that he's brought to the story is his partial transfiguration thing. And that denying him even clothing is denying him like material 
to transfigure. It doesn't really work though, because especially as like all the trouble we've gone to, to describe how kind of arbitrary the distinction is between the things you can and can't transfigure that a dude surrounded by, you know, a 72% nitrogen atmosphere has an infinite supply of shit. He can transform into whatever he wants. Um, I think there's a hard constraint on air being transfigurable. Was there? Uh, That seems pretty like, it was one of the, it has been a power that he demonstrated when he was testing his transfiguration stuff. He tried that over and over, um, but he couldn't get it to work and eventually just decided, okay, so maybe, we've maybe, covered maybe. that he has tried. Yeah. Transfiguring and, and wasn't able to, that said, that seems like, pretty lame. it That's does. Kind of lame and like, I don't see any reason why, I don't know, like, and I can't remember how much my answer was influenced by um, like other sources, but I remember my guess and I think it was part, partly because know, around like, this time. He's standing on dirt. So, I mean, he's got, so, there's always something he could be transforming. I, I, I think that like, I can't see a reason why he couldn't transfigure like part of his wand. Like is the entire stick necessary? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it maybe. Like that, like, that's like one of those that's things. Not the, that's not the core problem that needs, like <laughs> that seems like that, that part of the problem is like not, not the hard part. No, but like, if you're going, if you're going I guess with we, my we've never really figured, We've never really covered exactly like what are the exact limitations of what can and can't be transfigured. Cause I guess I'm not buying that like, Oh, it has to be a thing that you're physically touching because there's, it seems like there've been too many other things where it's like, I don't know. It seems like we've been sort of vague about it and now it's kind of important, but um, cause like when we described like, what was it that um, Dumbledore and McGonagall were like transfiguring all the furniture for, they built like for, a stadium. Yeah, that like, I guess you could say like, oh, and therefore they were definitely touching everything. But my, I didn't get the impression at all that that was like, oh, they definitely made sure that they were touching every single thing. And I got, I'm thinking all the stuff like described with like McGonagall's in the, in the transfiguration classes, I don't think it was described as like, oh, and then she was definitely touching the thing she transfigured. I feel like, not like, oh, you could, could like oh you could point to that airplane up in the sky and, and transfigure it into a turnip but that it's not so you know it's not some like hard limit around you have to be touching the thing yeah i think that's that's i can't remember what her or like because i know mcgonagall demonstrated like turning the desk into a pig or something but i can't remember if she touched the desk or not like that said yeah. i don't know if we've seen it seems Harry like if that's, if that's gonna be a specific limitation that we like should have been that would have been described i think you're right at the very least we've never seen harry not touch something and transfigure it but yeah but it's yeah it's fuzzy though so we don't really but it does seem like oh it's but it's not like oh i can you know see it off in the distance therefore i can transfigure it, it seems like there's maybe some kind of limit but we don't really know what it is but that would be kind of important because that's one of my thoughts is, oh, you know, it'd be kind of nice to, if I could, you know, transfigure his, you know, femur into C4. Um, right. My, my, that would be my awesome. solution, uh, not solution, but my, like, here's what I could come up with, which doesn't actually like uh, it. It was, I think actually the canonically confirmed sad ending. Um, and as, and this isn't a spoiler, the fact that the community got the right answer because, uh, you know, that there's more than one chapter left. So, um, mm. the, the answer isn't transfigure part of your wand into antimatter, which I remember thinking of because I was reading, uh, uh, would have been, um, one of Stephen Hawking's books. I think it was his, one of his newer ones, but, uh, 
like the the insanely destructive force of antimatter um mm. like because harry can't transfigure big things very fast but it would only take an, a teensy bit to just annihilate right. the graveyard right and so yeah, but he doesn't it doesn't need to be his wand though he's standing on dirt right but he, he transfigure a tiny amount of dirt into antimatter like we're gonna do, if like you bring all that stuff in the fact that he is naked and is only holding his wand. I mean, there's nothing special about his wand. He could transfigure his wand. Um, but it seems like, like, oh, that wasn't like super important. I think that we've only seen him untransfigure things without his wand. I don't know if he could transfigure things without it. So like, oh, but you mean he doesn't need to be touching it. Oh, like, So his feet are touching the ground. He's holding his wand. He uses his wand energy. Oh, was, yeah. You know, I wasn't even thinking about that. Is it? So we're thinking that possibly one of the limitations is not just that you have to be touching it, but that your wand has to be touching it. Cause I think we've definitely not seen that. That can't be the limit. I, it might be Harry's limit, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good point. Like I, it, it would be, uh, I, I, cause like I'm picturing it kind of like, like Thor's hammer, right? Like the, the wand is magical in its own way, but it's not like, it's not what makes Harry a wizard. Right. Yeah. Harry Harry has magic and Harry it's like uses Huh? It's like an amplifier. Right. It's 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 yeah. to it's to focus his power, right? Yeah. And so, um, like in the immortal words of uh of Odin. Are you Thor, the god of hammers? Hmm? That hammer was to help you control your power, to focus it. It's now your source of strength. I think that him being magical is gonna be the um I don't that there there could be something to that. Obviously, I can't speculate. Yeah, but like all of the like, but even any of those solutions, like all that would do. Like, I mean, if our if if your goal is just like, oh, Harry lives through the next sixty seconds. um, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't win the book in the sense like. So even if he could like you know transfigure, um, quarrels you know like pinky fingernail into antimatter and blow it all up. All that does is, you know, kill him into whatever convenient body. Like it doesn't solve it. He really is immortal, so that doesn't solve that problem other than buying some time with it. Right. Um, the only the only constraint on the solution is that it's has is that he has to survive immediate death. Yeah. The the, like, the audience no wasn't like, like if all I could come up with is a way that like you know Harry could like escape so that Voldemort could then torture everybody he loves forever. Like that's <laughs> kind of you know, that's not much of a win. Um but and so yeah and so that's like the other th- and again like I you know I haven't thought up any kind of you know great solution for it but like the things floating through my head though are it's got to be something it's gonna be something as a rule to it's not that like oh I've come up with the like powerful force that's you know big enough to defeat your powerful force not like in, like any matters powerful force not like in that sense but that like it's not he's not gonna be like sort of a plot driven you know. I've overpowered your superpower with my, you know, greater superpower. It's going to be some sort of like trickery, some something clever. He's not going to. He's not going to beat him in a fist fight or in an arm wrestling contest. Right. He's going to judo him, right? Yeah. What's the? I forget. What's the um the Kirk the Captain Kirk test? That Co- is it Kobayashi? No, Kobayashi, that's the Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi, yeah. It's you know, the only like reason that. I know that is because I think it's mentioned in the pitch meeting for the movie, and uh, <laughs> Captain Kirk's dad is played by Chris Hemsworth. Really? Yeah. Interesting. In the oh, opening yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I said, isn't Kobayashi like the name of like the tiny Asian dude that like wins the uh, Nathan's hot dog contest every year? Uh, 
Maybe. Maybe he's a big Star Wars fan. Maybe his dad was. <laughs> I don't think it is. It's something very similar to that. But um, but yeah, so it, like, it's going to be something like that. It's going to be like the clever thing that like like changes the parameters of of the game. Um, and that's how you win because that's sort of like, that's the very, you know, nerd Harry Potter rationalist way to, to win this out. So, um, but like, so yeah, it's going to be something like that, but like, yeah, I don't have that in my back pocket. And the only things I've been like uh, inching towards are just ways that Harry can, you know, escape during that moment, which only earns him the privilege of watching people he cares about being tortured. Um so, but yeah, so it would have to be, if it's going to be something where, I mean, so I imagine this ends with Harry wins. Um, and how, so then how that works has got to be some way of he fools Voldemort and it's going to be, and because he's not going like a, like he's immortal. So he can't just like straight up kill him. So it's going to be some kind of um, like, uh, like in the way that like Dumbledore was put away in the, in the mirror. So he's not, dead but he's you know permanently taken care of um in some sort of like you know we you know stuck him inside a piece of concrete and dropped him into a volcano but he's not dead <laughs> um so he's like trapped you know he's off in some other dimension i mean pretty much what what dumbledore was going to do with the mirror like um to, you know to get around the thing with you know his ability to just you know he dies and then he jumps into into the you know next body he needs uh so to get around that, it's got it's it's not going to be like oh defeated him and killed him. It's going to be sort of like contained him. Um, so he's like a he's not gone, but he's a permanently solved problem. Um, but yeah, but I don't know what that looks like, especially because it would have to be like something that like um, <laughs> a lot like that uh, that demon comic book I was reading. Like um, it's uh, really hard to come up with a way to keep somebody from being able to kill themselves. Um, I think in the book he does something, something gross about like he makes a shiv out of like paper and his own cum. Good um, God, <laughs> no, it's pretty gross. He like uses it as like glue, so so it'll like have like a hard edge to it, so he can like sharpen it, and then he like slits his own throat. So he, he all right. I don't want you to necessarily <laughs> describe it. To what you know, but this guy's constrained enough to where he can't just I don't know snap his own neck. But he can, I, you know, that, like that part's not to make enough glue to make yeah, it. Like, it's like at some point, the, like the government, uh, like realizes, like, like the implication of what what it's about. So they like trap him in a cell, and yeah, there is some point where he like has to figure, like he, so they've like, you know, tried to figure out, uh, like yeah, they're trying to keep him from being able to kill himself. Yeah, you you know, if you are at the point where you could like, you know, make a shiv out of you know bodily fluids. And slit your own throat, you would think, yeah, you should be able to like and you just, I think they do run through a few iterations of he like just bangs his head in the walls and stuff, and all he's doing is like just hurting himself. Does it's not enough to kill him, but hmm. but yeah, he eventually kills himself. And there's like some bit about like then he like hops through the body of like every other prisoner in the little prison he's kept through and kept in. And it's a it's a it's a funny comic book. It sounds uh rather intense. Yeah. Well, and there are and everybody's drawn like Dilbert. That's like sort of like adds to the whole like vibe of the whole thing is like the silliness of it all. And there's like, there's a lot of like, it makes it better. You know, I think it makes know, beheading, it there's all kinds of like beheadings and gross, like, you know, death kind of things, but it's all like at the Dilbert level of graphicness. So it's, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's well done. Um, but yeah, it's going to, but yeah, since, uh, since Voldemort can do that, um, 
you can't kill him. You need to, you know, just take care of him. So, yeah, I'm not sure what it looks like. And so it seems like I guess I'm, I'm going to be, uh, if I have to make some kind of prediction about how these next few chapters play out, something has to happen where Harry does convince Voldemort to lose all the Death Eaters. Like, they've got to go away because there's no way you can, like, play this out in front of 37 Death Eaters and have that work out. Like, they that that issue's got to be neutralized in some way, like, before you can go anywhere else. So. Yeah, he's not going to get off 36 stunners that are all going to land. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's only 36, not 37, because McNair's in pieces. Yeah. So. And if he does something to, like, you know... Him, right? <laughs> yeah, or, you know, he, like, you know, does something to, like, trap Voldemort and send him off into the, you know, the dimension of blah, blah, blah. Um, there's 37 Death Eaters standing around that are going to keep him from doing it, so... Yeah, so that part, like, he's got, it's, this has got to, I, I'm thinking this has to end somehow that it's, you know, Harry and Voldemort alone in a room. Um, it's, got, it's got to be some version of that that we get to. And that part doesn't, like, that's not as insurmountable, like, like the idea I had about, you know, saying, like, oh, I'll teach you the, the my human Patronus trick. Like, that's a plausible way for him to convince. All, I mean, this all does, like, for Voldemort having been, you know, the level of paranoid that he's at. Um, you got to think you'd be like, oh yeah, that sounds like a convenient way for me to end this James Bond film where I give you exactly the thing you need in order to defeat me. Um, that he wouldn't fall for it, but, um, but yeah. Um, so I, so, I, yeah. the only other intuition pump I had, which I think you already kind of hit on your own was going to be like, what solutions would you just hate? Um, and it sounds like you're at least, you know, uh, drew the outline of them if he didn't illustrate them exactly right. Um, like if, if this if 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 you learned that oh yeah here's the solution and God that was fucking terrible what would that look like? Um, well I guess we already covered like oh, okay it's not gonna be like the cavalry coming in um, and got it yeah well and it's not gonna be some sort of tanking if like I mean so this might so the after like once getting at the like oh. Once it pinged the, oh, maybe it's got something to do with his transfiguration or whatever. I at least, and I'm not, it seems, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not super sold on that being a great political ending, but that it's going to, it's going to, so it's going to be something that's like the hairy way of doing things. Um, and so it made me think, okay, what are those things? And so, yeah, it's either, I don't know, either. Like the two I've, I've thought up are that it's his transfiguration, his partial transfiguration thing or the Patronus that and this is just sort of like putting on the hat of like okay if it's if this is a story being told how does a nice story play um it would be one of those or something else i'm not thinking of and then i was thinking the patronus seems like like that ties in with the whole theme of the story and it's like much it's got a lot more you know dramatic bang than just partial transfiguration but so then it made me wonder and so and so i did think like oh there really should be some sort of like big you know, storytelling payoff for the significance of, of that Patronus. Um, but then I wondered, is Harry resurrecting Hermione what that was? Like, have we already played out the, you know, super important Patronus moment? It has already been done. And so that one's used. Um, so I'm not sure how to how to see that. If we didn't have that at all, like if the the whole Patronus idea was completely not yet played out, then I would definitely lean that way because it's got, there's got to be some like, like this is our big deal thing. And now it's important to the 
resolution of the plot, but maybe we're thinking like the bringing Hermione back. I didn't see that. Like, yes, he used the Patronus for it, but um, I didn't necessarily see that as this like huge like moment. That it wasn't so much about the Patronus. It was just that like, okay, now Hermione's back. Although, you know, I haven't gotten into that. I'm a bit disappointed. It seems, especially as the uh, number of chapters left are dwindling, um, that it's starting to feel like Hermione has just turned into like a piece of furniture around like, oh, he, she is just the, you know, moral compass for Harry and that she's stopped since, you know, since Quirrell turned into the blue fairy and then mind fucked her. Like we haven't, like Hermione hasn't been a character in this story in a really, really long time. And we're running out of time for her to be a character. Um, so I'm going to be kind of disappointed if, if we just end this and all she is, is just sort of like an abstract concept of, uh, Oh, she is the thing that, you know, keeps Harry grounded in his yada, yada. Um, I'm really hoping to see just something where I want to see, see Hermione go, Harry, what the fuck? And, and Harry go like, Oh, I don't, uh, like, I want to see her Hermione change Harry's mind on something by virtue of being Hermione and being right. And Harry, not like I. I don't know. I just kind of want to see her as a character do a, a thing, and not just be because. So for like ever since she just like Coral kind of like mind fucked her, she's been more a, a plot device and a a concept than a character. Um, so I'm gonna be kind of bummed if we just end with that. Yeah, certainly. Once she got mind fucked, she was like she had less agency, and then you know got to be less Hermione, yeah. and then she was yeah. kind of just out of the picture. And that was okay, like yeah, it, and she's like that's been okay. But if it ends up being like oh, and that's all that it's ever going to be, like I guess because in my head, like that was sort of like you know drama and tension building up for when the comeback of Hermione as a character back into the into the story, um, and if it just ends up that she totally just just ends as you know a thing that influences Harry, then that'll be kind of a bummer. But we'll see. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I don't have a, because like all, so all of the like trickery things I can think of. Well, so I guess I can think of ways. So we can't kill Quirrell because then he'll just be moving along. Um, but I guess if we assume that there's some way that it's now Harry and Quirrell alone in a room, um, then what could he do? There's, there's, so there's all kinds of sort of, you know, things along the lines of like, you know, antimatter fuckery that could, you know, blow the shit out of Quirrell and like, so that Harry could like get out of the room, um, which I guess would meet the criteria for, okay, he's just got to survive for a little bit, but that's kind of lame. So I guess, so that would be like one scenario would be um he convinces Voldemort to lose the Death Eaters. It's he and Harry alone in a room and he does some kind of something along the lines of, you know, turning Quarrel's shoe into antimatter and kills the fuck out of him, which is enough to get Harry away. But then that just gets all of, you know, Harry's loved ones tortured. Um, but I guess that like that meets the criteria for the uh, for the homework, but that's lame. Like I don't like that one. Um, I hear you. But yeah, so I got like it would be yeah, it would be something about like okay, so they're alone in the room, and then Harry does something that does not kill but incapacitates Voldemort in a way that they can then like you know send him off to the you know to the netherworld 
where he's not dead, but he's permanently gone. Um, but yeah, I don't know what that, especially since you don't have a Dumbledore anymore to help out with that. Dumbledore would probably have some solid ideas on where to go there. <laughs> yeah, they... Uh, this being one of his core competencies. Right. Well, I think he spent the requisite five minutes thinking about it. So I think that that's all we can ask. Uh, <laughs> I don't have uh, any really other way to to jog the conversation um, and add more, obviously, without talking about... What we're we about to see, is, is the next chapter going to be the how it did play out? No, it's going to be this like time break to like do the Tarantino thing. So we're going to do we're going to jump to Ludo Bagman's uh, <laughs> like take on the universe. Ludo Bagman's tight. <laughs> I, I have at least at this point inserted one uh, pitch meeting line in here. So, um, all right, man. Well, yes, we will be back next week, and we'll be covering chapters. I think we got to do. So like they're short ones, but lots happens, but they're actually really, really short. I am thinking we go ahead and do chapters. Oh, heck. Okay. I'm, I'm hedging on this too long. I I had my decision made that I've second guessed it, third guessed it. Now in fourth guess, I'm going to go back and say, we're going to just do 14 and 15. Right. I was going to do 16, but that's not going to do. So I think it'll be more fun, more, more cinematically appropriate to just do chapters 114 and chapter 115. So we'll be back. A few pages. Huh? That's very few pages. I know. What do you think? You want to do more? Well, no, no, I think it's good. No, especially as we're winding up to the end, we should uh, more time focusing in. No, yeah, I think uh, the closer we get to the end, we should lean more towards shorter. Yeah. Well, no skimming. Get your ass back at the top of chapter 114. All right. All right. Well, I was just page counting. That goes for everybody else. No one reading ahead, unless you already have. Then have fun. Do whatever you want. So <laughs> whatever you do, come back next week for the next episode of We Want More. We'll do chapters 114 and 115. Bye, everybody. 